Hello everyone and welcome to your monthly roundup for September. We're going to talk about lots of things including mega rounds and, and what's up with them, why are they happening, are they justified. We're going to talk about the direction we want to go with the podcast in, in terms of taking it more operational um, and asking more operational questions to these founders who are experts in their field. We're also going to talk a little bit about the public markets because they impact private markets. So James, looking forward to having a chat about all this stuff. Yeah, it's going to be a great roundup. We're also going to quickly look at the last month's Riding Unicorns episode. So the first one of the month was Alice from Entrepreneur First, the world's leading talent investor. That was a really great episode, understanding how they built EF and what they look for and how well it's going. We had Georgia from Tumalo, which is fixing impact investments around your pensions. And we had Jeremy from a test, which was really interesting, talking about experimentation and customer research. And last week, we had Darren from Trimit, which is an amazing success story and one of real guts and resilience, where he's now built the UK's largest mobile barber company, which is really exciting. And by the time this comes out, we'll also have George from Sequoia Capital, which is an amazing episode with a partner at probably the world's most renowned venture capital firm. So pretty amazing month again for riding unicorns and some great guests. Hector, any that stood out for you or you particularly enjoyed? Looking back at them, I realised what a great month we had. Naturally, the one that stands out is the one that was most recent. But yeah, definitely Jeremy from a test was, was great. I know him from before. I love his sense of humour and he's always got some great insights, so it's good to hear from him. And George Robson from Sakaya, he was eloquent and it's good to hear about how Sakaya think about the world. And as always, all of the guests were brilliant to have. I thought Georgia was fascinating talking about how they're changing how people think about investing and how fund managers think about investing. So it's been a great month, lots of great discussion with some fantastic founders. Yeah, and I think we had sort of something for everyone in there, you know, founders who want to learn a bit about VCs processes like Alice and George, and then inspirational stories from founders themselves like Darren and Jeremy. So there's a bit of everything which we've tried to incorporate at Riding Unicorns as something that is interesting to quite a wide audience within the tech scene. Saying that, we've had some interesting feedback recently where we did a poll on our LinkedIn and we got a resounding shout out for people wanting to get more operational insight from founders about how to actually run companies. Which I just think is great that you did that poll, because I think we struggled to get a read on our listeners. We don't really know who you are. Um, and so it's one of the, the great challenges of podcasting is that you don't have a, a great platform to engage with your listeners and so it was really valuable actually to hear that there was one element of the podcast that stood out as being something that people want to hear more of so thank you to anyone who responded on that yeah and we're going to be doing more polls through the riding unicorns linkedin page so if you're not already following it please do go and follow it's one of the best places to keep up to date with latest episodes and you'll hopefully get to steer some of the content through some of it like this and actually we did a recording yesterday which we can't announce who it's with yet but we really got into the weeds on the operational side of how they've grown their company. And, and that was great. And Hector, you had some great questions for them. 
I loved that episode. It was the founder of a company worth hundreds of millions of pounds, one of the sort of poster children of the UK tech scene at the moment. We got right into the details and really understood how they've built such a successful business. So I think that's going to be a great one to listen out for and we'll introduce it at a later date. So speaking of multi-million pound, hundred million pound rounds, that's probably a good time to start talking about mega rounds. So what's your view on these kind of mega rounds from Tiger and SoftBank and the likes? Yeah, I think it's amazing. It's been incredible to see. And it was a couple of months ago, I saw a, pretty sure it was Crunchbase, did an article, which I've since tried to look for and couldn't find it, but basically outlining that I think in the sort of, of the 100 mega rounds that have happened this year or of the 50 mega rounds that have happened this year, only two have been from VCs, which has been pretty fascinating. And I mean, a lot of names who we kind of think of now as, as playing in the VC game, people like Tiger, people like KOTU and others but actually you know they're private equity and there's been a lot of asset managers dipping a toe as well so we're seeing people with extremely deep pockets get involved in the venture game which as a start is fascinating. That is really interesting because actually there's an example of a company that had a mega round and went to zero and that was Quibi which was like the short form Netflix and I remember seeing a US VC saying if you look at the people who invested, none of them were VCs. It was all asset managers and a private equity. And it was a sign of like those getting it slightly wrong in that example. I'm not saying that everyone's going to get it wrong, but it's interesting to see that venture often actually stays away from those types of rounds. Yeah, that's nice to hear. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So do, do you think people see... Tiger and SoftBank and the like, and I mean, there are others, but those are the most prominent at the moment that are pouring money into certain businesses. Do you think people see them as venture capitalists or do you think people see them as a different beast altogether? I think it depends who you're asking in a way. I think the investors in Tiger Global are still going to see Tiger Global as, I suppose, a hedge fund, but of course they'll be aware that they're doing private market investing, which is not the typical business of a hedge fund. I mean, it's semantics to an extent, but I, I think if you're a founder, if you're a startup speaking to a Tiger Global or, or one of these other hedge funds who's getting involved, then from what I hear, the, the deals are often pretty similar to the deals in, in their structuring. I have interestingly also heard some really complicated structures being offered to companies by hedge funds with the types of structures and the types of deals we, we just don't really see in VC where they're really trying to protect downside and you know there's all sorts of loan elements to it and that sort of thing and interest payments and that kind of thing so i think there are people still kind of muddling around trying to work out a structure that works for them but broadly speaking yeah for the very best companies these hedge funds aren't going to get away with funky deals when competing against traditional vcs offering simpler simpler deals yeah so those are the people who are doing them, what are the pros and cons you reckon around mega rounds? I, I think part of what I love about VC is, is how many things there are at play always, and it's never, things aren't just what meets the eye. And so a mega round, while it might appear to be just a lot of money going into a company so that they can hire and grow, there's also, there are kind of secondary benefits, I think, to raising a mega round. And one of those more obvious benefits would just be the scare factor for other startups and other investors in competitors. So if you're company X that raises 500 million pounds from Tiger Global, 
the number two in the market is going to find it a bit harder to raise their next round because everyone knows, all the investors know how much firepower that number one, that market leader now has. And that's just a daunting prospect to be up against such a deep pocketed competitor. So there is that kind of that element where it's sort of paving your journey to success just by raising loads of money. You don't even need to spend the money. It's just there. And that's what matters. And it, it could also mean a kind of M&A sweep up of not necessarily number two, but maybe numbers three, four and five or something like that. I mean, again, yeah, recording yesterday with a founder was they've made two acquisitions this year. And that part of that will definitely be from the backing they've had. So what, what is the potential? When do the cows come home to roost or whatever? You know, <laughs> the chickens come home to roost. What's yeah. the downside further down the line? I think I say that saying and I never even know what it means, but I'll continue to say it because it's fun. But um, I think there's a question that needs to kind of be answered first, which is, are these mega rounds actually justified on some sort of fundamentals? And I think that there is an element of certainly some of them being justified. You know, people have learned the playbook. You know, we've talked about this before, how companies just get better and better throughout time and over the years. So companies are growing faster than they ever have before. You know, software is able to grow so fast. Distribution can be incredibly quick. So yeah, when you're looking at valuing a company, you're looking at the absolute numbers, how much revenue are they doing. You're also looking at what are the prospects and you're also critically looking at the growth rate. So if you've got a company that's doing reasonable revenues, but growing at astronomical pace, then there is a strong argument for buying into future growth and, and somewhat some people are willing to pay an awful lot for that so there are certainly cases where it is justified but i don't know whether you have a different view i'm sure lots of people do well look, i think there's a couple of things here i think it depends slightly on the sector and the market that you're in so what we have seen in the us is like mega rounds leading to sector domination or monopolization or whatever you want to call it which has resulted in very large public market caps as well and an ability to then buy other companies and attract the best talent and win basically and and we often do talk about winner takes all kind of opportunities saying that there are many winners in certain markets and in the UK you know some of our strongest markets are things like B2B and fintech and things like that. And there's often multiple winners within those categories. And so by raising a mega round, you don't necessarily become the winner takes all. And you might never kind of justify a winner takes all market cap. So the US has shown it can work for sure. And look, you just have to look at something like DoorDash with the SoftBank investment in that. I think they they flipped like a few billion in 18 months from investing to listing. And then there was some statistic that where that one investment covered all of their WeWork and Uber and, you know, loads of other investments that haven't turned out necessarily as well. But, you know, there is that risk that it doesn't work. So WeWork cancelling their IPO and down rounding and the founder getting absolutely slated in the media. And, you know, that is obviously a risk that you're putting a lot of money into stuff that still has a long way to go and to yeah. prove itself out and yeah you know as early stage investors you can afford to maybe have a sort of two or three out of ten hit rate because when you hit one it goes massive but at late stage investing you know it's much much more 
like you've got to get it right. You're talking about big numbers and sophisticated business models. And yeah. if you're going to zero from there, you're, you're doing something wrong. No, I completely agree. I think, I think you're right in most cases, but there are still opportunities to win massive at that late stage. You know, the, the next wave of trillion pound company, trillion dollar companies is going to be born at some stage. And if you invest a billion quid in, in a bunch of these companies and one of them goes to a trillion, like you're going to be laughing. So there is still opportunity to win in an absolutely gargantuan way. Some proof has been in the fact that IPO have had their valuation sustained even on crazy multiples. So it, it's kind of like the suspicion around private companies getting a rude awakening when they list has somewhat kind of proven just, which I think has been really good to see. It has. And look, I think, yeah, there's definitely been success in the model. And actually, we were just starting to see it happen in the UK a bit more with the likes of Dark Trace, Wise, Pension B, Deliveroo, etc. listing in the UK and staying here and there being promise of many more to come. There started to be a bit of a sort of secondary market pre-IPO of doing rounds to kind of clean up cap tables and things like that. And that was quite good for early stage investors. But these companies were also making money kind of preparing the business for an IPO or an exit and now we, we kind of have got to a point where the public markets are stuttering a little bit I mean the UK is actually doing better than the US right now we were just quickly commenting on US stock prices before we started this call James, and... James just rattled off about 50 companies I was trying to get him to stop but <laughs> and they're all down today so um yeah so public market it, it works when the public market is feeling very liquid and pumping things and letting companies run on ridiculous valuations that they can grow into and can own. But when public markets are a bit twitchy and other companies aren't doing that well, you might be the new kid on the block for a few weeks. But as soon as the earnout period is over and the first cord gets pulled, you know, it's a thread that will lead to something's unraveling I, I fear yeah. for certain companies but it's interesting how that public market private market thing is is so closely connected how do you think the the public markets do affect private markets well when i was starting pringle capital covid struck almost immediately and the public markets had a v-shaped recovery and at the bottom of the v there was no one angel investing, I can tell you that. So when the public markets were down, wealthy people did not feel as smug and wealthy and were very concerned. And a lot of the response was, I'm here to support my existing portfolio before I do any new business, which I completely get. And that was a nice way of saying, I'm holding on to my money for a rainy day, basically. Once we got back to the top of the V-shaped recovery, some people had even made money and that completely changed everything. Around July, August of 2020, lots of deals were being done. And there was quite a lot of, dare I say it, dry powder, a really annoying term, but dry powder available. And we did a few deals and that was great. And then there were lockdowns and there was, you know, there was all sorts of different periods. And that's just COVID related kind of public market impact. But yeah. it definitely seen public market impact affect the pre-seed rounds literally like angel yeah. investment interest in pre-seed is affected about what their amazon stock looks like it's amazing yeah 
I think that's it. I think it's the angel stuff that um, affected because the VC funds still have money to invest. You know, if you've raised 100 million pounds and the crash comes in public markets, you're almost certain still to have your 100 million pounds unless investors default on their commitments. But that's really very rare. And it'd be even rarer for lots to default on their commitments. So likely it is you're still going to have the vast majority of your fund ready to invest, which is one of the great things about VC because they can weather economic sort of uncertainty and storms in the public markets and, and so you really can have a long-term view on when investing which is usually a really good thing to have definitely i mean if you had put a load of money into a venture capital firm in 2007 you probably would have been looking pretty rosy by 2017 so yeah it's kind of interesting that vc firms can ride that out and do still have their capital available I mean, it depends on drawdown structures, which is something a lot of people don't necessarily talk about or understand is that so some VCs will have a single drawdown period, which means they raise all the money in one go and others will have like a a scheduled drawdown period where it might come in on a yearly basis or a quarterly basis or even on a deal by deal basis on on some occasions. Most big funds will have a drawdown schedule. So the, the reason for that is if you're an investor and you invest and you commit a million pounds to a fund that million pounds, if you committed it all in one go, would only be invested over four years. So it's just sat dead in a bank account. So what you actually do is you you take a quarter every four years of your, so say your investing period is four years, you take a quarter every year. And that way people can continue to invest the most of their commitment in whatever else they want to invest in. So ultimately they get a better IRR on their money. Yeah, it's a really interesting discussion about the the influence of public markets on private market investing. We've got some really great episodes coming up. So we have Johnny Pline, who founded Pouch and exited that to Global Savings Group. So that's next week's episode. And the week after, we have Joss White from Notion, which one of the UK's leading venture firms. So again, a really interesting conversation with a top, top VC. Yeah, I really love that conversation. He's a, He's an insightful guy. Yeah, really interesting entrepreneurial background as well. So uh, cool. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening and catch us next time on Riding Unicorns. (laughs) Thanks everyone.